welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. You know, Christmas is remarkable. It's both uh, clear and simple in its story, but profound in its meaning. And we're going to touch on all of that in a brief time from the scriptures tonight. Uh, For this Christmas season, we've been in a series as a church, just a short set of messages built around the idea of the perfect Christmas gift. You probably saw the video intro to that as we began. And Jesus Christ was the ultimate and perfect gift to humanity from a God that loves you so much. We've been working out of one passage. It's one of the Christmas accounts, and it's the account of the virgin birth and how the angel came both to Mary and to Joseph and told them this incredible story. And so I want to read the portion of scripture that we've been in. It's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. And tonight we're going to focus on one verse. So far we've opened the others in, the, in our services as a church, but tonight we'll focus specifically on verse 21. But let me read you the whole section. Let's hear the word of God together, okay? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me for just a brief moment? Lord, come over the the teaching of your word. How many, well, countless times really has it been opened before congregations like this to tell the same story. But oh, each time, Holy Spirit, you've been present and you will bring the light and the meaning of your word out in a powerful way every time. I pray that tonight you will do exactly that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, there's something about Christmas that you've probably talked about and uh, maybe heard others talk about it, and that is that it can lose its meaning over time. Maybe that's happened for you. A lot of people blame it on materialism and all the commercialism that that has uh, gathered around the holiday, but there's also human sentiment involved. In other words, It is a remarkable human story. The one that I've just read to you about a young woman caught unawares by a miracle and angels appearing by night and 
a young father having to make a difficult life decision and miracles abounding. And it's a, it's a beautiful story that culminates in a story that is so beautiful that it was really the setting of the children's story tonight, a children's story about an innocent baby lying in a manger. And all of that can draw out our sentiment and our emotions can attach to Christmas and the birth story in a way that just stops us right there. And it's as if that's the whole story. One author put it this way that I read this week. He said, we can become so charmed with the story of a baby that we grow sentimental about it. But remember, that baby cannot ask you to do anything about anything. That baby does not demand any vital change in your way of thinking. No, that is not what that baby was able to do at all. The great question for us is this, is our Christmas still only a story about a baby? See, that's, his point is that if you just leave it in the sentimental family moment, there's no impact on your life. And there's no demand upon your life from a simple baby lying in a manger. He writes, the great question is, for us is this, is our Christmas still only a story about a baby or is it more a deathless story about a person into whom that baby grew, who can redeem the world from its sins and who calls us into partnership with his great and mighty purposes. Indeed, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, he said, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's the rest of the story. That's the greater story. It is only as we see the birth of Jesus in light of the future story that he lived into, the future person he grew up to be, and in light of his crucifixion and his resurrection, then you're able to grasp the full meaning of Christ's arrival. I think he's got it right. So we're going to do that tonight. Verse 21 is going to be the sole focus tonight, although we're going to talk about some other scriptures in the Bible that bring spotlights onto it. Verse 21 says that that Mary will bear a son. This is the angel speaking to Joseph. And you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Each one of the messages I've been giving has talked about a perfect aspect to the perfect gift that Jesus was to the world. We talked about the fact last week in our church services that he was the perfect person. He was virgin born. He was God who also became flesh, who took on humanity. The perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. Tonight we're going to talk about another aspect of it. Jesus Christ, the perfect payment for sin. He was a payment for sin wrapped up in a person. And that's the whole focus of our verse. Jesus was brought into the world to save his people from their sins. His arrival in the world ultimately fulfilled a promise that God made to bring a savior. And Jesus himself, when he was an adult and beginning his teaching ministry, talked about how he was going to fulfill that promise. The most famous Bible verse in the world is John 3.16. You probably know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You may not know that it was Jesus Christ who spoke those words. It wasn't some Bible reader or, pardon me, some Bible author writing words about Jesus. It was Jesus himself talking about his promise now fulfilled. He grew up to be a savior. 
So I want to get your mind refocused for just a few minutes tonight out of the sentiment, out of the imagery of the first arrival. And I want you to understand who Jesus grew up to be and the payment, the perfect payment he grew up to bring. Now in Matthew's rendition and in the way the angel told it to Joseph, it was all wrapped up in a name. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. There is something wrapped up in the name Jesus that is beautiful and powerful. It has to do with that payment for sins. So in order to to go over this with you, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk about the meaning of his name. And then secondly, the mission of his life that that name brought him into. Perhaps you'll learn something new about Christ and take a step toward him tonight from what I speak of. I hope so. So let's take a look at maybe the most familiar name of one who was given many names, the name Jesus and the meaning of his name. And, you know, of course, when we come to Jesus and we ask which of his names is most precious to you, if you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd say, wow, where do you begin? Jesus is unique in all of human history. I don't think I can be disproved on this whatsoever. He is the one individual in human history who has been given more names and titles than anyone else ever born. I don't think you can knock me down on that. I took a look at it this week and reviewed some. There are over 200 names and titles of Christ found in the Bible. Did you know that? Over 200 names or titles that describe him. And I just went over some of the more prominent ones and and kind of reviewed them. Here, Here are the more prominent ones. Chief Cornerstone, firstborn over all creation, head of the church, the holy one, the judge, the king of kings. And can you complete it? Lord of Lords, some of you know some of his names, that's good. The light of the world, we go on. The Prince of Peace, which we hear this time of year. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the Word, the Word of God, the Word of Life, the Alpha and the Omega, Emmanuel, the Great I Am. We go on even further. Lord of all, the true God, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Bread of Life, the bridegroom of the church, the deliverer, and a favorite of mine, the good shepherd. But I can go on. Do you want me to? I will. I've got them. I can go all night. And people here that go to our preaching ministry know I could. But I'm going to stop it there. Just to, I think I've made my point. He is the most beautifully named and wonderfully adored individual to ever grace history. But the name here is a unique name, and it is the name Jesus. Now, you, you, you say, wait a minute, unique? That's the one I've heard him given the most. Now, the name of Jesus is the most heard. It is mentioned over 900 times in your Bible. Over 900. It's the most mentioned, and in many ways, it's the most precious. It's unique in, in, in the sense that Christ is. You know, Jesus, along with John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, they were both given their names in advance of their births. Did you know that? To, to indicate the mission that Jesus was on is the great meaning of it. But let's delve further into the meaning, just so you can understand. There's something mighty behind the mundane here. You might have heard the name Jesus rolled around your life, all of your life. You may know the Lord Jesus personally, but maybe you've never, ever heard the the meaning of his name explained. 
Our English title, Jesus, is a transliteration. What's that? Don't freak out. Transliteration is is the way we we take a a name or a word in another language with a different alphabet, and we try and approximate the sounds and the letters of that alphabet to our own translitera, transliteration. It's a transliteration of the Greek word from the New Testament, Iesus. That's the best way we can take the Greek word Iesus and translate that into our English, Jesus. Now, where did the Greek word Iesus come from? Well, that was a transliteration as well. So we're now into the second generation of people writing the name to cross languages. Iesus in the Greek is a transliteration of the original Hebrew name that Jesus had. When, when Joseph was told to name Jesus, Jesus, it really wasn't what the angel was saying. The Greek translation is Iesus, but we know that Joseph was actually told to name him Yeshua. How many of you have heard that? Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew name that Jesus would carry as a Jew born into the family of Joseph and Mary. So the angel told him, you name him Yeshua, which the Greek in the New Testament transliterated Jesus, which your Bible transliterates Jesus. Now, uh, what, is, what did the original name mean? That's the big question, isn't it? Yeshua, what did it mean? It meant God saves. Isn't that fascinating? Yeshua. I just love the sound of that name. I love it better than the English name Jesus. Don't don't get upset with me. I, I love both. But Yeshua is perhaps the name that he heard first from his mother's lips, from his father's heart. And it's the name that he was known of, known by on the hillsides of Galilee and the streets of Jerusalem. Yeshua, God saves. Now, that is a beautiful image, and it's stirring to think about that. But you see, he was named for a mission. He was named for the purpose of his life. He wasn't given that name because it was just a favorite name of the time, which it was. There were a lot of boys running around Nazareth named Yeshua. There was only one who was going to live out his name because Joseph was told in verse 21 that Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, God saves, for, look at that word in that verse, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was named for what he would do. That's interesting. I mean, a lot of people are named or they get nicknamed. Maybe you've got one, a nickname for what they're like. Curly or red or maverick, an ice man. I don't know, something like that. (laughs) A lot of people get their names or nicknames from what they're like. Only Jesus was named for what he would do. Only Jesus would head to a cross for you. Only Jesus would die on Calvary for the sins of the world. Only Jesus, this Yeshua, was going to save his people from their sins. And that brings me to the second thing I want to talk about. If that's the meaning of his name, let's take a look at the mission of his life just for a moment. I want to do it by answering three questions. What would he do? 
When, when the Bible says here he was going to save his people from their sins, what was the angel saying? What was being communicated from the throne room of heaven to Joseph? What did he understand? To save, interesting word. We don't understand it or do it justice in English. The Greek word was sozo. And it meant, listen, to rescue someone from great peril. Let me repeat that. It meant to rescue someone from great peril. It was a serious word, a somber word. It was an all or nothing word. It was a word that meant that if it didn't happen, you were lost. The images of a person sliding down a cliff and getting ready to fall into an abyss, into destruction is the Greek word. And it's, it's as if you're about ready to fall into a bottomless pit and someone grabs you at the last minute and saves you from great peril. That's the word, my friend, the Bible uses to talk about you being saved from your sins. Look at it. And he will save sozo his people from their sins. He will save men and women from great peril. In fact, the greatest peril, because the Bible tells us what that bottomless pit is. It's the eternal punishment that we will all face in hell for the lives that we've lived if something isn't done about our sin. There is no greater peril. So now we're getting into the serious territory. I think I left sentiment a while back, didn't I? We've now gone from a a curly-haired baby in, in, in a manger to something far more significant and to a battle far greater and to an outcome far more serious for you. Oh, it doesn't matter if you like little Christmas stories or, or stop in the mall and look at images on Christmas about manger scenes. Oh, that doesn't matter. You can have a warm feeling in your heart for a minute. But no, we're talking about the ultimate mission that baby arrived for. How you deal with that determines your eternal destiny. So what would he do? He would go to a cross. He would take the wrath of God for sinners, and he would save those who wish to be saved from a great peril, the ultimate peril of eternal punishment. Second question, why would he have to do that? I mean... Pastor, here I am. I've graced your church with my presence. Maybe you don't get to church that often. I don't know. I sure didn't in my younger years. But I went on occasion to make the people around me feel better. (laughs) And I would go and listen. Maybe you're here like I was. And here is a man in the 21st century talking about sin and talking about eternal punishment, and talking about a debt that you owe to God that you cannot pay, and talking about a perfect God and his attitude toward your moral life. And here we are in a culture that's designed itself, well, in some ways to condemn nothing and allow everything, and to never allow anybody into your personal space to speak to you about something that may be a moral issue in your life, because we blew up morality. And yet here I am, from a dusty old book talking to you about your sin and mine. I'm speaking about it to you because the Bible reveals that whatever you thought you knew about sin, you don't. You see, 
most people talk about themselves and they grade themselves morally and they say, you know, on balance, if I ever saw God at the end of my life and it turned out that I would face a, a, a true and living God after my physical death, if it turns out I live on, I would tell that God, you know, on balance, I've been a pretty good person. Well, that's if you're carrying the balance. But you don't carry the balance. God sets the standards. And his standard is perfection because that's who he is. And the moment you miss the mark with God, you've got a moral problem with him. You say, I don't like that. Well, you didn't create the universe, did you? Even if I meet you in the mall tomorrow, you can argue with me three hours long. I'm pretty sure we'll conclude, no, you didn't create the universe. You don't get to set the moral standards because you're not a fully moral person. You're not perfect morally. There's only one who is, and he has set the standard. And so you have to answer his standard, not yours. It's not a fielder's choice when it comes to to who's righteous or not. The Bible talks about sins. And it doesn't talk about them as being just, just sin is, is, is only qualified for deeply immoral or murderous or, or horrible acts. It's basically missing the mark of God's perfection. The actual word sin in the Greek language came from the idea of, of missing a mark in archery. You might have heard this if you've been around churches a while. In the in New Testament Greek and in, in the language of the time, it was talked about somebody who was aiming at a target and missed even by just a small amount. If you missed even by a small amount, the, the, the range master would raise a flag down at the target and he would raise up a flag and we'd call out a word, harmatias, sin. So, so that's what would happen. You didn't have to mention by much. If you missed it, sin. And that's how the Bible talks about missing the moral character of God. It's interesting. I, I didn't know this until recently when I studied it, but Hamartia, the, the Greek word sin, was also used to talk about a traveler who missed his way. Now that's interesting because the Bible calls Jesus the way. Hamartia came to mean missing or falling short of any goal or standard or purpose, and it came to signify in the Bible a departure from God's perfect standard of what is right in word, deed, or thought. Now, this is interesting. Jesus taught that even in the thoughts of your mind, you could disqualify yourself from heaven. This is gentle Jesus talking. How about that for a shocker? He said, you conceive immoral ideas in your mind. It's as good as if you've carried them out. If you have hatred in your heart towards someone, it's as good as it's, it's as deeply a sinful idea as if you murdered them. So that's how specific God is. And he gets to set the standard. And when we fall short of that, we have a burden of sin that has to be dealt with. There's two ways to deal with it. Because we've offended an eternal God, we may have to deal with it by paying for that forever without him in eternal punishment, or someone could have been sent to pay for us. Wow. That's what the Bible says his mission was. Here's where the beauty comes into the darkness. 
This is what the Christmas baby was born to do. He was born to die for you. The Bible says in Luke 2.11 that he was born to be a savior. In Mark 10.45, Jesus said about himself, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. In Luke 19.10, he's come to save, to save his people from their sins. In Ephesians 1.7, it says in Jesus, we have redemption. That's rescue through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So the whole story is right there. The Bible does say men are sinners. That that aggravates you. Here's the thing that should fascinate you. But then the Bible says God sent someone to do something about it. God set the standard and then he went and met the standard on the cross. What an amazing story. He set the standard and he met the standard. Jesus Christ came into the world to save his people from their sins. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas Eve, you could actually write your name in for he will save and put your name right in from sins because his death is sufficient for you if you'll trust him he saved you if you want it saved in what sense you ask he saved you from the ultimate consequences of your sins namely eternal suffering in hell a lot of people today come and and begin a quote unquote relationship with Jesus Mainly so he can save them from their problems. Mainly so he can put them into a different direction in life, give them a new purpose, help them meet new people, a better crowd. No, that's not what Jesus came to do. He did not come to just help you solve your problems. He came to deal with the sin that condemns you. Don't miss him. Here's the third question. How much did he do if, if he came to save me from sin? And sin is a very real issue, at least in the eyes of God. How sufficient was his payment? Did he do everything I need him to do? Now you've got me interested, pastor. Now I'm a little pricked in my heart about it. And you can say, oh, yes, he did it all. He, we have an old hymn in the churches. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And the payment of Jesus was sufficient. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's an interesting idea. How far is the line of east from west? It's endless. That's the way the Hebrews used to describe infinity. Isaiah 44, 22, God says, I've wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins are like a heavy mist. I've wiped, I can no longer see your sins because of the blood of my son. Do you want that in your life? You can have that tonight. Jesus paid the price and that price was complete. Nothing else needs to be done. 1 John 2, 12, which you may see on the screen, says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That's what the Bible says. It says that he did it all. This Yeshua, this one who comes to save. And there really is no other savior like him. That's what the Bible says in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no other. There is none other name under heaven given under uh, given under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name than who? Yeshua, Jesus. I love this text. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus, 
Jesus as we know him, God saves. So let me ask you as we bring things to a close tonight and prepare in a moment to do something which has been a tradition here where we light the candles to proclaim that the light of the world did come into a world of darkness and sin. Oh, the light came and went to the cross. Let me ask you, have you long understood the sentimental message of Christmas, but you never have understood the eternal meaning of Christmas until tonight? Make him your and turn your life over to him in a silent word of prayer in your heart. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, when we raise these candles and light them together, by all means, celebrate. But if you don't know him, well, for the first time in your life tonight, dedicate your heart to him and trust him as your Savior. For Yeshua came to save you. Thank you.